0: want to take your Bibles and turn with me to John 15. We'll get there eventually. But we are, sorry, I I forgot to get this set up, my screen set up just how I need it for this evening. Looking and continuing to look at our study of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And we have spent some time Um, a lot of time, not some time, a lot of time, talking about the prophetic role of Jesus Christ. And so, now we're going to talk about the implications of that for believers today. So, what does it mean? Christ is the promised prophet from Moses. He is the one who speaks not on behalf of God, but as God. He perfectly fulfilled the prophetic role uh, as was given in Scripture. So, what does that mean for us today? Um how, how, how does this affect our everyday life? And, you know, there are some things that I think we could immediately draw as conclusions. So Christ's words and the words given by Christ or through the Holy Spirit, those are words that we need to pay attention to, that we need to take heed to. Um, the words that Christ gave were not just prophecies for His day and age, but they are truths that are timeless. They are things that are important for us to recognize and to live by on a daily basis and so i think that's one of the obvious uh applications but what we're actually going to see here in particular understanding the these these three particular roles is how we as the church are able then to take up in one sense the mantle of christ's prophetic office now i know that that some of you are thinking wait a second i I thought this church doesn't believe in continuing prophets, <laughs> and we don't, but we do believe that the church has a prophetic role to play. So follow me, stick with me, we'll, we'll, I'll sort of hash this out for you, and we'll understand now so that we can better understand what it, what it means. Because remember how we began this. We went all the way back to Adam and Eve, and there were three roles given to Adam and Eve in particular, and those roles were the roles of prophet priest and king god entrusted his word to adam who then was going to pass that on to eve they were both called to have dominion over the world that's the kingly role and then they were able to commune directly with god that's the priestly role so those three roles were what all humanity was created for Um, but what happened Sin entered the world, and because of sin, those roles and the, um, the the administration of them within humanity became marred. In fact, it became impossible for us to keep those particular roles. So what we find then, in the glorious truth about the gospel, is that Christ has not just saved us from, from destruction, not just saved us from His wrath, but He has also restored us to now fulfill these particular roles that he had given to mankind from the beginning. Remember, Christ is the second Adam. And as the second Adam, he is able to create a whole uh, multitude of his people who can now fulfill the roles that mankind was created for. So I wanted to talk briefly in introduction about what we've been looking at. So we have seen, again, that Christ perfectly fulfills the role of prophet, As we mentioned, Moses, and when he gave the law, said that there will be another prophet that will arise like him among God's people. That fulfillment was not found in Elijah, it wasn't found in Samuel, it wasn't found in Isaiah, Jeremiah, or any of the Old Testament prophets. It was found in Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment of Moses' prophecy. We spent time talking about how his words were tangibly different. He spoke words of wonder. We talked about how the, it was obvious to people. He had authority, not like the rest of the men that had been teaching the Jews in, the, in that day and age. And then, just for brevity's sake, I didn't deal with this, but we could have also spent a lot of time to talk about the works that Jesus did and how they were an accompaniment to his prophetic words. Um, just a quick Quick little rabbit trail to see how this sort of worked out, so Jesus feeds five thousand people He feeds them with what what does he have fish and bread so uh, how, how many how many how many of each five what loaves and two fishes, and so he feeds them with primarily bread, which was actually something that was commonly. Uh, the case in that day and age. It wasn't like today where you can, you know, go over and go down to Woolies and pick out, you know, your own fish, you know, out of the tank and everything, which I've often wondered, like, could I do that? Could I pick out the fish that I'm going to eat? Like, it just, it's just big eyes looking at me, but anyways. Um, bread was essential to survival in the first century, now, we live in a day and age where bread is evil. Like, bread is the thing that's going to kill you. Less bread in your diet. You know, that's what we hear with diets today. My, my dad um, has a saying, and he, he just turned 75 today. Um, and so he has this saying, he says, the wider the bread, the sooner you're dead. So I, I don't know <laughs> where he came up with that. Um, but uh, but bread, bread, is, bread is really important. Um, Jesus, when he does this miracle, then he, after that, he calls upon his listeners to hear that, him say, I am what? The bread of life. And so the, the miracles that he did, they were especially in John's gospel. If you look in John's gospel, they are structured in such a way so that they, they hold up or validate the claims of Christ's prophetic words. And in fact, this was really the purpose of signs and wonders in Scripture. They're given to validate the Word of God. Now, as is so often the case, the world today, and, and even in parts the church today, has become infatuated not with the bread of life, not with the sustenance that comes down from God's Word, but with the signs and wonders. And oftentimes that focus on signs and wonders takes, uh, takes people away from focusing on the point that God was saying. Would we rather have an experience... Or would we rather have the life-giving words of God? And so that's one of the dangers of, of focusing on the signs to the expense of the Word of God. And so the words that Christ spoke were words of wonder that were accompanied by great signs. So that was free. That was a free, you know, no, no charge for that tonight. But we also see something unique about Christ that we don't see with any other prophet that ever walked the face of the planet. And that is that Christ perfectly submitted to the Word of God. And we spent time looking at the temptation that the devil brought against Christ. And in each of those temptations, Christ's response was, It is written. He looks to the Word of God as the thing that is guiding and directing his actions. It's the way that he is responding to temptation. And so, he is the only prophet who perfectly submitted to God's word. And we, we talked about this. Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes it. El, you know, Elijah, Mount Carmel, great victory. Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. What does Elijah do? Runs through the mountains, hides. Um, in fact, with every prophet, we see failures. We see them not submitting themselves to God's word. And so, Christ is the fulfillment. He is actually a prophet better than Moses because he perfectly fulfills the law, the word of God that he's giving to mankind. And then finally, we saw how he spoke not on behalf of God. Remember, the prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. And so this makes the distinction of The role of prophet in Christ. There had never been up until that point, and there will never be, after Christ's coming to the world, a prophet like him. Now, what we find then, as he fulfills this role of prophet, and as we're going to look at and see how he fulfills the role of of priest and how he fulfills the role of king, through his fulfillment of all three of these roles, this is how Christ provides redemption. There's there's really an interesting thing to note here um, that the salvation that we need is, is administered through the proper application of these roles in Jesus Christ. He saves us as a high priest, offering not the blood of bulls and goats, but offering himself. He saves us through calling us to repent and to trust in him, his prophetic ministry, And then He saves us by having us place our hope in His dominion rather than in our own dominion or in any other dominion on earth. And so when He does this, He saves us by means of these roles and then He restores us to then do these roles as we were created to do. Believers in Christ both individually and corporately, and we're going to spend some time talking about how that works. Um, I think we can have a focus on the individuality of these gifts, all right, particularly among churches like ours that believe in something called the priesthood of the believer. But that is actually an application that's, that's opened up so that we are a people of priests, that there are corporate applications to how we are to fulfill the prophetic office, how we are to be priests before God and how we are to exercise dominion in this world. So individually and corporately, we are now called to follow Christ's example to function as prophets, priests, and kings. We fulfill these roles right now in a limited way. So what is it that limits our our fulfillment of these roles today? What do we still have deal, that we have to deal with? Sin, right? The sinful nature is still there. It, it will prevent us at times from, from fulfilling these roles as we ought to. But sin also is corrupting the world around us, and so sometimes, not even because of indwelling sin or sin of ourselves, but sin of other people or just the curse in general, it limits the way that we function in these roles, but we also look forward to a day when we will be able to fulfill these roles perfectly, that we will be able to be restored, to be like Adam in the garden, and to be proper priests, proper kings, proper prophets in God's kingdom. God has, by His grace, enabled us to fulfill these roles for His glory and the advance of His kingdom. I think it's important for us to recognize that while we have a forward-looking hope when we will not have to deal with the hindrances of sin, we still are called to fulfill these roles today. We still are called to live out our lives as God's prophets, as a people of priests, as those who are given dominion by Christ. <clears throat> so how do we do this? Well, God enables us. And so what we're going to look at over the next <clears throat> couple weeks is how God enables us to do this. And these, are, I think, are the, the next points that I have for you on there. God enables us with three things that we're going to particularly focus on. First, union with Christ. Our union with Christ is essential for us to be able to to complete these roles. Then we see, secondly, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're talking specifically about God's enabling for the prophetic role. Um, There's going to be overlap in how God enables us to operate as priests and operate as kings, but particularly for the prophetic role, that's what we're focused on here. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are given the Holy Spirit in full order so that we can... Speak the oracles of God, and we'll talk about that likely next week. And then finally, God enables us to have a ministry of the Word. Now, we typically think of the ministry of the Word as, you know, that's the thing that the, you know, professional trained pastors do. They're, they're involved in the ministry of the Word. Um, but I think it's important for us to recognize the role that pastors have in the church, God gives apostles, God gives prophets, God gives pastors and teachers to build up the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry. And so we're actually going to find that in this prophetic role, in the ministry of the Word, there are commands given to the church and how they are to interact with each other and with the world in giving the ministry and completing the ministry of the Word. So today, we're going to first, we're going to look at that first option, union, or that first enabling, union with Christ, union with Christ. This, I think, is an often neglected doctrine in the church today. Um, the church is very good at calling people to believe, right? We, 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 and I say very good, that's what we tend to focus on sending out the message of the gospel, calling people to repent, to turn to Christ. And that is the message that we've been entrusted with. But what does that mean? What does it mean truly to trust in Christ? And and also, what are the ramifications of that? Like, what happens when we trust in Christ? And what we find in the Scriptures is that that unites us with Christ in a very spiritual and mystical way in which some things we're not going to fully understand in this life. It will take when we go to heaven we still may not understand everything that is involved in our union with Christ. But the church, which is the assembly of those who are redeemed, the church can likely be defined as those who are united with Christ. Paul makes this abundantly clear. In the book of Ephesians. In one sense, Christianity is defined by being found in Christ by faith. Ephesians chapter 1, we, we know these verses very well. Ephesians 1 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Where, does, where is that blessing found? In Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us, what? In Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. How does this this uniting happen? Well, he says in verse 115, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. It is faith in Christ, trusting and resting completely in Him, putting our confidence fully in Christ that now places us in Him, we are united to Christ by faith. Now, we have a tendency to focus on what Paul says in Ephesians 1.3. And rightly, we should. Every truth of Scripture is a, is a glorious thing for us to consider. And we focus on the riches that this union gives us. All right? We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's wonderful, isn't it? It's a glorious truth. God doesn't hold back anything from us. Everything is given us by virtue of our union in Christ. And we love to revel in that, but that union means so much more than just spiritual blessings. That union also enables us to fulfill the roles that Christ perfectly fulfills. We think of justification by faith, right? that we are, we are made to stand righteous before God because we're in Christ. And the way we think of that is this great exchange. God takes our sin, imputes it to Christ, judges Christ on our behalf, and then He takes the righteousness of Christ, imputes it to us, so that these, our, righteousness, our sin goes here, Christ's righteousness comes here, and through this great exchange, we're able to have and stand before God justified. So that when God looks at us, this is what the Scriptures are saying, when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin, He sees Christ's righteousness. That's marvelous. And it's a glorious thing for us to hope in. But also, being in Christ allows us to also have from a mystical and spiritual reality, the ability to stand as Christ stood and to do what Christ did. That's why the Christian life is seeking to be found more in conformity to whose image? To Christ's. We see His glory in the Word and we're changed into that same image from one degree of glory the next. So, so what does that mean then for these roles, the prophet, priest, and king? We can fulfill them in Christ. We have the ability to go about and, and continue to do these roles as Christ has done. Not to the same extent, obviously. We are not Christ, but we are found in Christ, enabled to to complete these roles. And, and look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I think this is important for us to recognize, that, that we are not like the first Adam through the redemption that Christ has done. We are called to be like the second Adam. We're to look like him. We're to bear His image. And I think what we look at is, as we look at the entire scope of what Scripture is doing, that is primarily seen in our fulfillment of these three roles. That we are called in Christ to be prophets. That we are called in Christ to be kings. That we are called in Christ to be priests. Sorry, I got them all mixed up there. So, Christ who perfectly fulfills what we were created to do, restores all of those who are in Him to complete the roles God placed us here to perform for His glory. So by virtue of our union with Christ, we are now restored to complete these roles now. There are three passages that I want us to consider this evening about how this looks. How does this look in in what the scriptures have for us, how do we do this? how do we live and complete these roles in union with Christ and so we're going to begin by looking at John fifteen chapter one or John John chapter fifteen verses one through eleven this is a well-known passage. this is the vine and the branches pass passage, but I think what we see is we're going to just sort of go over this and and look at this from a very high view because there's a lot to unpack here, right? We could spend spend months going through what Jesus says here in John chapter 15. But I want us to, to see the main point about how union with Christ allows us to complete the roles that he's calling us to complete here in John chapter 15. So let's go ahead and read the passage and then we'll come back and make some observations. Jesus says, I am the true vine, He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. There's so many glorious things to, to pull from this passage. There's a lot here that, again, I mentioned we can't take the time to really unpack. But what we find here is that Christ here is sort of giving us a, a object lesson, lesson of how union with Him works. What, what does it mean to be in Christ, and how does that affect the way that we live our lives? And so Christ's illustration of the vine and the branches helps us to understand how we can, united to Him, particularly fulfill the role of a prophet. Christ is the vine. His people are the branches. Now, There's some things to note that, he, that we need to consider that he talks about here. First of all, what happens to fruitless vines? They're withered. Or they, they wither and they're taken away. He speaks specifically about how the Father is the vine dresser. And that branches that don't bear fruit, he takes away. He goes on and, and speaks about how if, if anyone does not abide in him, he's thrown away. He's taken away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. Now, it, it, I think it's important to note here, he is making a difference between believers and unbelievers. And what is the difference? Abiding in Christ, union with Christ. A branch that is not connected to the source of life that Christ is, is taken away. Fruitless branches are taken away. But then he also says that fruitful branches, what happens to them? They're pruned. He says again in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. What this means is he takes away the areas in our lives that would remove us from abiding in him more so that we can then bear more fruit. That's what he's saying. The purpose of pruning is so that we can do more for the sake of the glory of Christ and we can bear more fruit. So I, I, I think to sort of set expectations for what it means to be a Christian in this world, you should expect to be pruned. Right? You should expect that the sinful areas in your life, the areas that are not in accordance with Christ's glory, the areas where you're not abiding in Him, that that God, the Father, would cut them out of your life. Now, is, is that pleasant? No. But yet it's Useful because he's taking away the the areas of our life, the things in our lives that are removing us from being fruitful for his sake. Now, what is it that makes the difference between a fruitless and fruitful vine? Well, we've already answered that, abiding in Christ. But but continue looking with me here. He says in verse 7, After he says that fruitless branches are cut and taken away, he says, if you abide in me, and for us to abide in him, what else is abiding in us and my words? Abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It is the word of Christ that prepares us to be fruitful vines. The prophetic ministry of Christ must first take hold in our own hearts and in our own lives. It must first bring us to a point where we are standing in full dependence upon Christ and Christ alone. That we are depending in faith upon Christ before we can be fruitful. Now, Think again about this example of a vine and the branches. All right, the vine carries life to the branches, right? You know, we think about how the veins that go up into the, you know, I'm no biologist or whatever you call somebody who studies plants. I don't know what that is, but anyways, I'm not, that's not me. But I know that like when you look, even if you look at a leaf, you can see the veins that travel from the branch to the leaf and the branch is connected to the tree so that it can have life in it. What is it from this illustration that passes through those veins, that gives life to the fruitful vines or the fruitful branches? It is the Word of God. And if we think back, what was it that Peter said about Christ's words that had him continue to be with Christ. Remember? He says after he had fed five thousand people, they're following him. Who wants to jump on the bandwagon and, and the gravy chain that is Jesus who can take five loaves and two fishes and feed everybody? I mean, why wouldn't you follow that? Then he calls people to put their trust and faith completely in him and him alone and to not trust in anything else. And it's the hard saying that he says, and and many of his many of his disciples go away. In fact, notice the means by which the Father pruned those disciples off of the branch through Christ's words. And so there actually is a reality that the words of Christ will produce either death or life. They will either work in those that are impressed by the word through the Holy Spirit, they will work for life in their lives, or it will turn them away from the the vine to their own destruction. And so we see that the crowd stopped following Jesus at that point. I think it's, it's interesting. That happens in John 5 and 6. All right, so John's gospel has, you know, 20-some, 21-some chapters. And it's it just, it just interesting. This is, again, another freebie. John, very early on, talks about, a from a human standpoint, a failure in Christ's ministry. You know, not that it was a true failure, but from a human perspective, oh, he had these crowds and now nobody's following him. Which I think should help us sort of think about and, and, and realize, what does it mean to be used by the Lord? Is it about big crowds? No. It's about faithfulness to his word. That was another freebie. I'm just full of freebies today. So all these crowds go away and he turns to the disciples, the twelve, and he says, will you also go away? And Peter's response is no. No. Where are we to go? You have what? The words of life. And so Jesus here in John 15, I think, is picking up on that. And he's saying, look, you have to abide in my word. My word needs to abide in you. The prophetic role of Christ is what enables us to be fruitful in this world. So we're prepared by the Word of God, and then that preparation works to have us abide in Christ. Again, notice what it, what it did with Peter and the disciples. Instead of going away from Christ, they decided to stay with Him, to abide in Him. So I want to talk quickly about these two things, preparation by the Word and then abiding in Christ Again, the prophetic ministry of Christ must take root in our lives. It is through the prophetic ministry of Christ, His Word, that we come to be united to Him by faith. What does Paul say in Romans? Faith comes through hearing. What is it that we hear? Hearing by the Word of God. So it is the the prophetic work of Christ that prepares us to be in Him. And those words of life must be the source of continued life for His church. This is why the ministry of the Word is so important among the church. Because it is our very lifeblood. It is the very thing that enables us to bear fruit. There have been, over the years in the church people trying to be novel and to bring new things into what makes the church the church. Whether it be a whole host of different programs, whether it be an entertainment-driven focus, whether it be um, trying to make the church sort of like a social club and having that be the thing that people rally around. In fact, it's interesting if you look particularly in American history and you look at the churches in America, all right, and we think of the main denominations, all right, you've, got, you've got the Presbyterian church, you've got the Baptist church, you've got the Methodist church, and, and we talk about what we call mainline denominations. These are the ones that have the united in front of their names, united Presbyterians, united Methodists. You just have to go back. 120 years and you can see that these organizations they begin saying you know what we don't need the word they start removing that as the foundation of how they live their lives the things that they look to and they start you know trying to base things on the reasoning of man philosophy and and modern philosophical pursuits If you read up on the state of these churches today, you know what you find? They're dying, numerically even. And so, as, as Christ describes a, a branch that doesn't abide in Him, He speaks about how it withers. And we see that in churches that have abandoned the Word of God. They wither. And it's not even so much the numerical growth that is the evidence of that withering, but it is a loss of union with Christ, of abiding in Him, of spiritual life and vigor that indicates the death of these branches. So Christ's words of life must be the source of continued life for His church. So, we then as we look to the Word, we are to abide in Christ. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Again, look at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, just to quickly note, Jesus is not saying that he becomes a genie here. You know, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So, you know, oh, I'm abiding in Christ, His words are abiding in me, so, you know, I want this or I want that. And, and, then, and if I don't get it, well, then I give up on it. No. What is it that constrains or forms our wishes? We talked about that this morning. Our passions are guided by the Word of God, by, guided by how we know Him. So if we are abiding in Him and His words are abiding in us, then we're not going to be asking for things outside of His will. So we have to keep that in mind here. That Christ is not saying he becomes some sort of um, spiritualized genie. But rather he's saying that we need to abide in him and his words abiding in us so that we can then bear fruit. And that's the thrust of this. W- what should be the great desire of our lives? What should be the thing that we're passionate about? The glory of Christ. So how does that bear fruit in our lives? Abiding in him and his words abiding in us. So what does that abiding look like? Well, it requires a real, personal, and continuing relationship with Christ. A real, personal, and continuing relationship with Christ. Our lives before the Lord are not merely theoretical. We we have the promise of the presence of God always in Christ Jesus. Jesus says that if we... If we come to Him, He will make His home with us. He's come so that we can know Him in a real and tangible way. Now, what is this relationship built upon? Well, what is the thing that abides in us? His Word. Any relationship requires communication, right? You, You know, Two people get married, and they never talk to each other. Is that a good marriage? No. Although maybe you're like, well, sometimes I wouldn't mind that. No, it shouldn't be how it is. Requires communication. How does God communicate with us? His Word. And so, so here's, I think, where we can begin to sort of connect the dots and say, well, what does it mean for God's Word to abide in us? That means that we meditate upon it. I think the Scriptures, although they do speak about memorization, and memorization is important, but I think they emphasize meditation a lot more than memorization. So that we, when we think about what we heard, say, this morning in worship, or what you're hearing tonight, or what you read of God's Word at the beginning of the day, that you're thinking about those things throughout the day. You're thinking about the words that Christ wrote you. When I was in college... Uh, Rita and I both went to a pretty strict college, all right, um, and so we had to be in our dorms by 10 o'clock, all right, doors locked. If you got caught out of your dorm at 10 o'clock, you had to go to the central dorm, and there'd be a guy there, and he'd write you up and give you demerits, all right, so that was that was sort of the, the, the atmosphere that we went to school in, um, but they had, you know, they understood these are college students, and, you know, they're starting to, to look at people of the other sex, and then, then you know there's, there's, there's butterflies growing and everything like that. And so, so they had a way for us to communicate with each other, and they called it Night Mail. And so what you do is you would write a note, and, and you'd stick it in the Night Mail box. You'd tell, you know, say it goes to this person at this room in this dorm, and then they'd, they'd do this great exchange in between the two dorms. The two dorms were on separate different sides of the campus as well, and so they'd come to the, to the middle of the campus and they'd exchange these notes and, and, you know, you'd get these. And so, you know, you'd always be excited when around 1030 there was a, a note dropped in front of your dorm room. And so you get to see and, and read this night mail that we would have. And so, you know, it, you you'd get it and it, it would be something that would be precious to you. I remember sometimes really would spray a little bit of perfume on it and ah smell it, you know. And and I would take that and, you know, it would be an offense to her if she wrote this letter and I just said, oh, that's nice, and then threw it in the garbage. I wonder how often we treat God's word that way. I wonder if that's why so often we struggle with bearing fruit in our lives. Because we neglect the meditation of His Word. In fact, that's how we abide in Him. That's how we have this relationship with Him. That's how we hear from our Savior. Meditating on His Word. And then there's continued communion through prayer. That's where we get to communicate with the Lord. Now we, I think, so often think about prayer as requests, bring our requests before God. And that is legitimate. I mean, the the Lord tells us, lay our burdens upon Him. He wants us to bring those things before Him. But have you read the Psalms lately? The Psalms are, are songs of worship, but they are also primarily prayers. And sometimes there's no requests in the Psalms, there's just an overflow of emotion pouring out your soul before the Lord. Sometimes it's they say things in the Psalms that we think, well, I would never say that to God, and yet the psalmists say it. We express our frustrations, we express the difficulties in life. I mean, I I I love the series that we did here. You know, we finished up at the end of last year on the Psalms. Because there's a a focus on truly just bearing our hearts before the Lord. That's another part of how we abide in Him. Instead of letting the frustrations of life sort of fester inside us, we release them to the Lord in prayer. We don't take things into our own hands. We let God be the one that we turn to in these things. And so what does it then look like To bear fruit. Because remember, what is Jesus saying? We're called to bear fruit. In fact, he takes away the branches that don't bear fruit. So, what does that fruit look like? Well, notice what he says. He says in verse 9 As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. What does fruit look like? Well, it begins with abiding in Christ's love. This is not just reveling in the love that Christ has for us. but It's also seen in loving others the way Christ has loved us. And if you want to read more on that, read 1 John. He talks a lot about how important it is for us to love one another. But Jesus goes on to describe what that is. It's not just abiding in His love, but look what we see in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Again, that union, what did Christ do, how did His life look, is something that is to be Produced in us. And so we abide in Christ's love, but then secondly, we keep Christ's commandments. We obey the word that is given. And everything in God's word is given to us so that we would be more like Christ and and it would mold us to be more like Him. So when the scriptures tell us that we are to speak of Christ to the world around us, what are we to do? Speak of Christ. When we are to encourage each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, those that are based upon God's Word, what are we to do? Do those things. And then finally, that fruit looks like full rejoicing because of Christ's Word. These things I have spoken to you, he says in verse 11, that my joy may be in you. Now, this is another freebie. Who do you think the happiest person that walked the place of the planet was? You ever thought about this? It wasn't jolly old St. Nick. It was Jesus Christ. He exhibited perfectly the joy of the Lord. And if we are drawing our life from Him, then what does that mean about our joy? We should be the happiest people in the world. Because His joy is in us. His joy is in us, and the joy that He gives us is a full joy. And so, throughout this passage... There's an emphasis on the vital part the Word plays in our union with Christ. Again, what is it that abides in us? If we're going to abide in Christ, it means that His words are abiding in us. We depend upon this prophecy to know Christ, and we depend on this prophecy to fulfill our prophetic role. And so here's what's important to note. And we're going to, this will be a nice, a nice sort of, Tie in in a couple weeks because we're not going to finish everything here tonight. In a couple weeks, about how the Spirit is involved in our lives, Jesus spent three and a half years on this planet giving His Word to His disciples, and then He told His disciples, The things that I've given to you, guess what you're supposed to do? Share it with the world. How are you going to do this? I'm going to give you the Spirit. So I'm getting ahead of myself here in our our notes. But the Spirit plays a vital role in this this prophetic role that the church has. But what did Christ do first before He sends the disciples out to take His Word? He gives them His Word. And so if we're to fulfill the prophetic role that Christ has given us, we must abide in that Word if we want to be restored to what God has created us to be so that we can fulfill these roles for His glory, then that means we've got to be serious about the word that Christ has given us. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 2, verses 4-6. through 6. He says, Whoever says, I know Him, I know Christ, but does not keep His commandments is a, what? Liar. In fact, we're going to find that the language here is very similar to the vine language that Jesus uses here in John 15. If a a branch doesn't bear fruit, what does the Father do? He takes it away because it's not a true branch. He says that these liars who say they know Him but don't keep His commandments, what is not in them? The truth. Notice, again, what the difference is between the believer and the unbeliever. Abiding in Christ and abiding in His Word. But, and then this is what's so important, whoever keeps His, not commandments, but His, what? His Word. In Him, in that person truly, The love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are, and then here's that important word, in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to what? Walk in the same way in which He, and who's the He here? Christ in the way that Christ walked. So John is telling us that these roles, our lives, set to be like Christ, in particularly the prophetic role, is found in having the Word of God abiding in us so that we can then walk in the same way, we can complete the same roles that Christ completed by virtue of our union with Him. We're not done here yet looking at this union with Christ, and next week we'll pick up in Acts chapter 1. So if you want to read Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 8, and then Ephesians 4, 15 through 16 uh, for this week, something to maybe study up on. We'll talk about that this week in regards to this union that we have with Christ and how we are to fulfill these roles. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You for the hope that we have, that we are united in Christ by faith. Father, I pray that uh, we would take what we've learned tonight, uh, we have focused on how, what it means to abide in you, to have your word abiding in us, to, to be cultivating this relationship with you as we meditate upon the word, as we, as we spend time in prayer, is what we're doing right now, Lord. Uh, may we truly seek to be constrained by these truths so that we can walk as you walked on the earth. Father, it is a a high calling to, to be called to walk as the Son of God walked upon the earth. But Lord, we know we can do it, not because of ourselves, but because we are united to you in faith. So, Father, may we take seriously the charge to abide in you and to speak your words, the words of life, the world around us. For the work in our midst by your Spirit today, we pray these things in Christ's precious name, pleading His blood.